Hello and welcome to Goonie's World. My name is Goonie, also known as Colin, and I am joined by Meanie, also known as Ryan. Well, hello, but tonight my name's Squirg. That is correct. And we have our referee for tonight. Uh, his name is Johnny Fabro, also known as Sean. Hello, hello. Still not sure how I feel about the term referee. I'm always like, ding, ding! You know, I kind of starting to like judge more, game master, whatever. Uh, yes. And, uh, uh, we also have a special guest tonight, and he's going by the name Red Rocket. That's what he wants to be called, also known as Joe. Good body every evening. <laughs> Very great. Off to a great start. <laughs> now, Red Rocket is a character that Joe has in our off-mic uh, Cape City universe, which we have done a few Cape City games, but I don't believe that we've met Red Rocket. Joe, actually, I think it's safe to say Joe's probably like our our number one listener. Uh, uh, probably listen to more episodes than anybody else out there. So, Joe, we've always appreciated that and hearing your feedback, so it's nice to finally have you on the podcast. Of course, we have done plenty of gaming with you off-mic over the years, including our original Dearth campaign, and Dearth is where we are going tonight. Now, we have played this in a long-running Wednesday night campaign back in the day that uh, Colin and Joe participated in, and of course, we returned to Dearth on the podcast with our Knave episodes that we did not that long ago, you should scroll back and find them if you haven't heard them, but you don't need to listen to them to enjoy this. I think Nave is becoming pretty much my favorite so-called OSR game. It's just become my go-to, and I want that D&D fantasy without any of the muckety-muck, as they say. And I like how we're all one class, the Nave. Anyway, we are back on Earth tonight. And we are rejoining our friends Squirg, Fallow, Shins, and Jubal Trix, who've survived many adventures together under the bloated red sun. Soon, something tells me they'll be joined by a new friend on their travels. And they were on their way to Ceres Arcs. Now, they're in a world called Dearth, which is a, a Jack Vance, sort of Gene Wolfe, dying planet subgenre of far future fantasy sort of setting. And they were on their way to the city called Ceres Arcs, the greatest city of all cities, a city that climbs all the way, all the way into the sky, never stops climbing, so tall you can't even see the top of it. And you're still on that journey after all these many, many months, and you had adventures along the way, and your friend Maymay, who you thought and maybe hoped would travel with you forever, is settled down with a plunderjack in the neon forest. It was heartbreaking, but you've had to leave Maymay behind. And both of you are, all of you, even though you guys haven't all met yet, are traveling along the Trithagorian Wall, which is a road that runs along the side of a cliff. And out over the lands thousands of feet below you in a desert of pearl ash with great coral towers rising out of it, you can see the bloated red sun of dearth. It's all bruised with great big sunspots on it and fills a quarter of the sky. Still looks like it could go any minute. You swear when you look at it, it shudders, but maybe that's just tricks of the atmosphere. Now, everyone thought the world was going to be destroyed long ago, but... People have found ways to give the world a temporary reprieve. And you're living in the age of temporary reprieve. 
in which a god called Yulian gave his life to save everyone and extend the world a little longer. And uh, it's a tired, sad world without a lot of uh, initiative or new discoveries or new inventions. The world is terribly eroded. There's not much weather anymore, but there's been so much that everything is round down and worn and almost marbled and smeared together in many places. And you two, Squirg Fallowshins and Jubiltrix, are walking along, and could you just really quickly, both of you, just reintroduce yourselves in character and describe your appearance for the people who haven't met you before. And let's go ahead and start with, with Flabby Squirg. Yes, uh, my, my name's Squirg, and uh, me flabby, but only around the middle, uh, with a pitch, pinched face and sickly, sallow skin with uh, rather limp hair. I do like to wear the antique clothing, though. Uh, I like that sense of old style from long ago. Um, and I, I tend to be both a doyle as into my good friend Jubal, but vengeful if you come come across me the wrong way. I got a quaint style of speech, supposedly. Seems normal to me. (laughs) And I previously worked as a butcher, and I would not chop up my friend Jubal after they started eating halflings. That just seemed wrong. So, we traveled together to Sarasox. Alright, and Goonie, Jubaltrix, he's a veteran character, been around for many long years in the real world. Tell us Tell us about Jubal. Yeah, he is a halfling. Uh, well, let's actually let Jubal tell us. Jubal, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a burglar extraordinaire. And, um, well, yes, I've got a, a tiny physique, a round face, rosy skin, wispy hair, patched clothing, curious virtue, vain vice, flowery speech, Suspected misfortune <laughs> and a neutral alignment. All right. Well, you two, and we're gonna meet. Uh, we're gonna meet Joe's character in a minute. But you're traveling along this uh, Trithagorian Wall Road, and again to your right, thousands of feet below you is this pearl ash desert with the coral growth. To your left, about the road's about thirty feet wide, so it's a good wide road. Uh, to your left is a forest of sparkle weed, which is literally like sparkling along the sides of the... They're like sparklers. It's just actually just luminescent pollen and stuff, but it's like popping out all over like little fairy flowers. And behind that are big xenodendrium trees. It's the xenodendrium woods. It's this huge forest. Xenodendrium looks like weeping willows, but the the leaves are all um, uh, blue and silver. And up ahead, you guys hear the sounds of... uh, uh, combat. You hear a like a, a, a unmistakable sound of a blade striking something, bone, claw, something like that. And you see up ahead around a great big uh, encroachment of the xenodendron branches that are falling down over the road. You have to push your way through them. And on the other side of it, you can see a man, a man who is fighting alone against three malignant. Hawk toads that levitate grossly in the air above him, dangling long, long, extra long legs with these huge hooks on the bottom of their feet that they levitate around. They're trying to, like, hook him. 
And uh, you can see great tongues lolling out of their mouths. This man's fighting them with a, a big axe, I believe. Joe, let's uh, meet your character in character. Uh, Sue Fast... No, Sue Fastmane, right? Sue as in the S-I-O-U-X Fastmane. That's correct. Sue Fastmane. I'm a ripped fellow battle-scarred skin and a narrow face. I've got silky red hair and beard but my clothing is frayed because my my dear darling wife passed away and could no longer mend it for me um i'm a little easily angered and have no time for nonsense and i do have a large battle axe that takes up many many encumbrance slots (laughs) (laughs) yes Yes, it's a big ol' axe, as you guys can see. But but unfortunately, you know, and you're on your journey for your own reasons, um, and you, you, you guys' paths have all intersected here. But, yeah, this man's not calling out for help, but, uh, you know, in your peripheral vision, you can see these two strangers have come out of the xenodendrium vines, and uh, you can see him fighting these malignant hawk toads. Again, they're like bloated. They don't have wings or anything. They're levitating. They're all bloated and full of gas with tiny little toad faces. Like long, spindly, spaghetti-like legs with great big hooks on the end. Which are like whipping around. And, and uh, again, one of them has a great distended jaw all of a sudden. And a huge tongue rolls out. It's a terrible scene. And uh, if you guys want to help this fellow, I, I'd say you better... You better get to it. So we're going to roll initiative for everybody. And we're going to roll a D6. And if it's a 4, 5, or 6, it's going to be your guy's turn. And if it's a 1, 2, or 3, it's going to be the uh, the malignant hawk toad's turn. Well, so one of us will roll. Uh, I guess I'll try it. And Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I rolled a 1. Okay, well, unfortunately the malignant hawk toads will quote-unquote go... And, Sue, you see a great uh, swoop out of your peripheral vision to your left, and you whip around, and you can see two of these long legs being whipped around to hook you with their claws. You've already, you know, survived one or two blows like this. And, uh, ooh, I believe this is going to hit you. It's a, it's a 14. Your defense is less than that, right? Or your armor defense? Oh, yeah. It's yes, only it a 12, is. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid you're hit, sir. But it's only for three points of damage. But, you know, the other, and I said there's another leg, and that one is a 12, but a 12 is not good enough to hit you because we want to roll greater than. That is our mantra for the game, greater than. So, that's what happens with that. And then uh, the other, the malignant hawk toads really are single minded creatures, and they are not paying attention to or have not noticed the rest of you yet and so we will go on to your turn and because you are in the thick of it uh sue you should go first and uh this one is still near you can hack at his legs hard to get at the you know the big gross body up above it but certainly could hack at his legs yeah i'm and going to uh like whirl the battle axe over my head in a sweeping good. arc well good Sweeping arc might be just what it takes. Uh, I only rolled a seven. But the sweeping arc is not what it takes. And uh, you do a beautiful sweeping arc. It just didn't happen to connect with the flailing spaghetti-like legs of the malignant hawk toad. It's not good form. uh, I'll give him that. 
<laughs> yeah, you could you could praise him from a distance. And uh, but now you guys, you could do something. You've come onto this scene. You can give this guy. You want to help this guy? You want to watch him? <laughs> See if he can take three malignant hawk toads. Well, I'm not much help, but you know, I'll I'll try. I, I think he might be able to take him himself, but uh, you know, I think we should uh, just to be safe. We might want to step in and help. Okay, well... It does seem to be the neighborly thing to do. All right, okay. Well, uh, halfling, go, halfling, in my... There's really no order in combat. It can be whatever you want, but um, in a default situation, I'm always going to go lightest Lightest guy goes first, and that's got to be you, Jubal. So so what do you do? Um, I'll try to, like, um, just <clears throat> stroll up and stab one of those things with a dagger. Okay. Wait, all right. Well, I think you have to kind of, kind of run up, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, just to cover the distance in time. But, but yeah, uh, I will charge and stab it, then. All right, because because a, a nice saunter, you know, a really insouciant saunter, it takes a little time to do it right. <laughs> we don't have time for you to stroll. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Well, the malignant hawk toes, you know, you as you run in, you can hear the the whoosh of the legs whipping around like whip cords. You're, you know, as uh, they whoosh around. And it's almost like running into a storm of these heavy claws on the end of these little spindly legs. And altogether, there's six of them because there's three malignant hawk toads. And you chimp to just swipe at one of the legs, I guess. So, uh, yeah. Please go ahead. Please go ahead. And you're gonna need you're gonna need greater than a 14 in this case. Usually things are 15, but you're really it's armor. It's effective armor defense. Okay. Um, and I have an 18. All right, that is certainly going I'm going to roll the damage for your weapon. All right. And damage is three. Three is the damage to the malignant hawk toad. And, uh, yeah, I mean, th- three looks like a lot, too, against these spindly, spindly little legs. And, uh, a bit of, a. uh... uh Thick, syrupy green blood kind of splashes across your face and your clothing. And meanwhile, Squirg, what is Squirg doing as you see little Jubal rushing in? You, so you described their, uh, <clears throat> they have, they're like levitating, right? And they have like these, like, s- s- weird legs. They're, they're, they are a globular, air puffed up, leathery toad-like body with a little tiny face in the middle because they're all puffed up and dang they're levitating up in the air and dangling from that form these long long you know like 12 foot long spindly legs with big claws on the bottom and they're trying to like levitate up there where you can't get them and spin their legs around try to hook you and pull you up and they're also rolling their great big tongues around a lot I'm gonna run up um, and try to like jump up and grab one of them's pair of legs and then like you know tie them tie them in a knot or something <laughs> okay that's funny and i believe that that would that would really count as a stunt in these rules and uh this is uh you know stunts may not cause damage which is fine that this doesn't and we're given very little guidance the referees the final arbiter as to what stunts can be attempted so that's good news for you because you know i like crazy stuff so i think you can certainly attempt this and to me it sounds like a matter of dexterity more than anything. And uh, um, I still think you'd have to use, hit their armor class, though, of 
of 14, which is really better for you. Oh, I rolled a fucking natural one. Well, <laughs> well, not... <laughs> that's that's uh, too bad, because that was that would be a critical failure in, in, uh, in combat. And luckily, uh, they're not... Uh, <laughs> uh, they're not trying to uh, to hurt you, but you get uh, three points of damage just from getting too close to some of the claws with your hand as you're trying to tie that knot. Just due to the critical nature of the terrible failure. And, uh, <laughs> the terrible failure. And, uh, that, yeah, but, but a great idea, and I would encourage you to keep trying the stuff like that. And meanwhile, it is the next round. And we are rolling initiative again. I need someone else. And, yeah. I'll do it this time. Five. All right, you guys are going first. And uh, you know what? We'll start with the warrior type guy. Even though we're all knaves, we have no class. But uh, Sue, you're right in the thick of it still. What do you do? I think my best bet is still this big old axe. Big X Sue, that's what they call me. I see. That'll be a 15. Okay, there we go. Yes, please do roll the damage die for your weapon. It's a D10. I got a 4. Alright. Okay, and you hit 4. Yep. Now you hit 3 last time and you felt pretty good about it, uh, Jubal. When you do 4 this time, Sue... The legs, the leg just comes right off of the thing, just right off. The malignant ho- uh, hawk toad emits this terrible croak, like a high pitched croak, like a high pitched barking croak of great pain, and his whole body just jerks back reflexively and tries to retreat. Uh, and in doing so, it might hook you with one of his claws. You've cut its whole leg off, but it's got the other leg. It's trying to get away now, but uh, please make a dexterity test. You need greater than a 15 to not get clawed on the way out. You have driven it away, but at a price. I rolled a one. Oh, well. You know what? I'm afraid you were... <laughs> I've rolled a one for damage. And so... Oh, too bad. It's doubled. So you will take two. And... Uh, so there we go. And... Still have two malignant hawk toads holding on to the situation. Jubal, what are you doing? Okay, well, I'm gonna, uh, uh, I'm gonna start stabbing. Okay, go for it. And here comes, uh, here comes your roll. Oh. I can see you rolling. I can see you shaking your dice. Uh, that's that's a twenty, not natural. Okay, that's great, though. So please roll damage dice for your weapon. You've already done three points of damage to it. You think that it doesn't take much. Ah, uh, four damage. Okay, yeah, well, just again, rips the leg right off. Uh, the the ichor kind of flows out, sprays out onto you, same way it just did to you, Sue, by the way. And uh, it l- lurches out of there, dragging its other leg with you. And uh, please make a dexterity test. Get greater than a 15. Add your... Just roll a d20 and add your dexterity bonus. Hey, six. Oh, well, I'm sorry, but you take two points of damage. 
right. on the way out. And uh, finally, there is one of these things left, and we have, coincidentally, one of our friends here left. And Squarg, how can you drive off this last one? <clears throat> I'm going to try, try the same stunt again, but... Me don't succeed. Me only roll a 13. Oh, no. Well, uh, at least you did not make a critical failure this time, though. And you avoid getting your hands cut up. <coughs> but that one, unfortunately, is why am I rolling? You're lucky I just rolled the wrong dice. Uh, swings its legs out. And more or less, uh, you know what? It does not do that. What it does do is it uses this other attack that I've not let them use yet. And it opens its great big mouth. It's like a tiny little face, right? In the middle of this big puffed up sphere. But when it opens its mouth, it can just keep opening it and opening it and opening it. And it just get bigger and bigger. And this gigantic tongue coils out. And it's so long for the proportions of his body. Like, it's gotta be like his whole head is like gas and tongue. I mean, and the tongue's just coiling outward. But it's happening fast. And uh, it's right, actually reaching down to get you, Squirg. But it's not able to touch you because it only rolls a six. And I know your defense must be much higher than six. And so uh, it comes close, but you can see there's like sticky stuff all over. Like you can just imagine yourself being yanked up into this thing's mouth or something with a tongue. I don't want to do that. That, that sounds gross. Yes, it's very, very gross. And that was their turn. And uh, so we're going to roll initiative again and so I guess maybe Squirt can roll it this time since you guys have been taking turns I can try six okay you guys will go first and uh, let's just go ahead and keep that order we've had uh, what do you want to do Sue what you gonna do Sue there's uh, still malignant hawk toad looking for you well I said I don't have no time for nonsense so we're gonna end this now 21. Well, there you go. And if you're going to have a cool line like that, you better be able to follow it up with a successful attack. <coughs> Seven damage. Seven damage is enough to rip the leg right off and even pile through into the next leg a bit. But again, the great high-pitched croak, the spray of greenish ichor all over you. And the thing whips its body away, dragging its last leg. So make a dexterity test, and please get higher than a 15. 12. 12, and on the way out, you are ripped. I roll very low again. One. This could be D6, but I've done like ones and twos on everybody so far. And uh, it is away. Now you've driven them off, and that's good. When you're, You've been forged, and you have a friendship forged in battle now. But I will hopefully just sit back and listen to you guys discuss yourselves uh, for a while. That is quite the max. Thank you. That's the. Uh, they, they call me Big Axe Sue back in my army days. Oh. I can see why. That is a big, big axe. Yeah, it, and nice and. It, it's so round. Yeah, the whole blade's, you know, probably as big as Jubal, you know, like end-to-end, you know. Looks firm. <laughs> it does the job. I wouldn't want to be under... I wouldn't want to be under... Receiving end of any... Of that axe's swinging. 
So what's your name, stranger? Sue. Yeah. My man named Sue. Sue. <laughs> well, I say that is a peculiar name, but uh, my name's my name's Squirg, so me no judge. <laughs> yes, and I am Jubal, a burglar extraordinaire. Oh, did now who who told you you were an extraordinary burglar? Well, uh, I told myself that after I burgled the hell out of somebody, and they didn't even know. So I, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty good in that area. I've got lots of experience. And I can testify that the wee jubilee is uh, the best in the business. Bit of a bit of a team, are ya? Well, yes, you could say so. We've been traveling uh, together for quite some time. Uh, so we uh, are kind of a pair that uh, knows each other well. Uh, and uh, we're actually headed all the way to Cirrus Arcs. Far away. Uh, what a coincidence. That's where I'm headed. I've been a lone wolf for a long time now. Might be nice to have some company. Yeah, it's good to have some, some backup if you need it. Didn't look like you needed it, but we thought we might step in and, uh, you know, give a helping hand. We There, there is a lot of uh, hostile people on the road to Sarathark's. We've met many of them. So, uh, any friendly faces uh, are welcome. I cannot argue with that logic, Jubal. And plus, having a Having that big axe on our side, if if and when things go go awry as they tend to do on the road in this dying world, I think would be a very helpful. Yes. It's my whole life, people have only wanted me for my big axe. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's too bad when the people uh, judge you like that. Yeah, I can see how how you would feel uh, victimized a little bit. Yeah, you're more than just a big axe. You know, I once heard of an entire race of people far, far away that all carried big axes. I believe the name of that species was the Cardassians. Oh, yes. oh how? Yes. Well, I wouldn't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the no, it's one of the great uh, myths of history of uh, carried on the messenger sprites long ago through the air, yes. But you really want to go kind of south, you to get to Saris Arcs. I mean, every time you ask anybody, it's south, 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 southeast, 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 or south. And you were on the flying highway, you know, for a while. It was a great elevated road, but your journeys took you this way. But you're kind of going east. You really want to find a way to get further to the south. Now, luckily for you, there's still plenty of daylight left. Although it's dim, even in the daytime. The sun looks a lot bigger in the sky than ours does, but it gives off a lot less light. And so the sky is, when we say it has a blue sky, it does. There's like a deep navy blue. And you can see many of the brightest stars, like Serapis, the demon star, the constellation of Orca, and uh, the, the the ring star, all these uh, 
celestial objects are visible even in the daytime. And so is that of Luna Veridium. It's like the moon is green and lush. Uh, you just got a picture it right now where all the dark spots are water and all the bright spots are green. That's how the moon looks to you. And uh, that's where the elves live. The only, the only elves you will ever find on Dearth are the ones that have been rejected from Luna Veridium. But anyway, you're traveling along and you want to try to find a way to get south. But the road is actually curving off to the north following the Trithagorian Wall, this great cliff that stands watch over this desert of pearl ash that you see on your right. But the cliff is beginning to curve off to the north, exactly the opposite direction you don't want to go. And far on the other end of uh, the desert, off to kind of a leftish angle, you can see what might not be a road, but there's a change in coloration. <laughs> it seems to at least signify the end of a desert that you think you could get to fairly quickly. You know, by which I mean a day or two. So really the question is, would you want to continue to the north and hope that this would eventually curve back around to the south? Or do you want to climb down the cliffs and... Uh, See if you can uh, find a shortcut that would lead you more directly to the southeast. Hmm. I assume there's, from where we are, I mean, we're up fairly high, right? Yeah, it'd be a perilous climb, 1,000 feet, but you could probably think of lots of ways to get down cliffs. Yeah, but uh, there is no, I'm assuming there is no, we could probably see the road out fairly far, and it just, it doesn't appear to turn back to the south in any no, not any reasonable distance. Yeah, no, not even like in the miles ahead that you can see. You think you'd be able to see something as big as this cliff, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, huh? This doesn't look like it goes to to the south to Sarasarks. And we've already been traveling so long. long. Maybe we should long, just long take a shortcut. You know, I think we've earned it. Well, how do you think we could get down these uh, these cliffs here, Jubal? Well, I mean, I guess we could look and see if there's any, uh, you know, uh, any safe passage, a staircase, or a, a, a rope ladder, or even some hard to even footholds, maybe uh, something to grip onto. It's hard to even imagine that, uh, but but certainly climb is probably possible. But you know, I don't know. Let's not forget, you guys are knaves. You're you're not fighters. You're not thieves. You're not magic users. You're a little bit of all three. So uh, I don't know if there's any. I don't even remember. I know you guys told me, but I don't even remember exactly which spells you picked. You know, look, I, luckily I've got the list of them right in front of me. But uh, it's good, for all I know, you got some magical way you could get down. Well, I don't think I got anything that. Would be useful magically speaking. Uh, what about you, Sue? You got any spells? You know. Well, I know. I know a couple of spells, but I don't know if they would do any good. I mean, I could summon a coach, but I don't think that'll help in going down unless it were some sort of an elevator. Well, when when he says that, you guys actually 
you know, you you did that once. You you summoned oh, the coach. You've oh, had yes. in your past. You've had experience with a phantom coach. Oh yes. And you guys have lost access to that spell. It was cast long ago, but you do. Well, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. It got of us out of us a bind that we were in. Uh, got us quickly away from some hop goths, I believe. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a very handy spell. I but yes, I don't know if it, if this. Uh, Stagecoat says uh, up to uh, going straight down, if you know what I mean. Uh, that, that might <laughs> not work so well. So, uh, but um, I, uh, I, I have a teleport, but that uh, I'm afraid doesn't work on doesn't work on people. It this, uh, from what I understand, it can teleport an object. So, well, could it teleport well, a? Could it teleport a coach that we were sitting in, do you think? That's a good question. <laughs> it's a classic workaround, you know, creative use of magical convergences. Yeah, yeah I like it. But to let me, uh, I think there was more to it than that. Uh, I think I have some directions uh, here for this spell that might answer our question. Uh, you worry about whether you can get it all the way down there. Well, see, it says an object disappears and reappears on the ground yeah. in a visible, clear area up to L yeah. times 40 that's feet. That's your level. level. No, that's, 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 that's not going to be quite enough. Well, I, you don't think. Yeah, um, and you've teleported stuff before. You know about how far away you could do it. And you think you'd be like not even halfway down the cliff yet. Now, it does have a little bit of a slope, okay? I mean, it's straight down for a while, but then there's a bit of a slope. Something that could move unnaturally fast over any terrain might have a shot. <laughs> um, and there's also, let's not forget, there's also the classic let's climb down and make a couple of dexterity tests along the way. Yeah. Having done rock climbing in real life the very concept of trying to scale down a thousand feet yeah. of cliff is like you probably got like cormorant nests of shocking birds and, and everything else along the way yeah I agree it sounds terrible but with like I'd say about three or four dexterity rolls because that's going to be different phases different phases of climb you know it's a big climb it's an adventure in and of itself and it's very heroic but Yes, I, I think I could do it, being a halfling and being very nimble. It would be no problem for me. But, uh, Thorg, oh, uh, gravity has such a pull on you. <laughs> I think I got me own gravity. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, what do you think? Do you want to try the, uh, to summon the phantom coach, Sue? Uh, yes. Yes. Well, let's do it, and and we'll we'll just tell the coach, uh, you know, uh, this is going to be uh, a risky one, but uh, I'm sure you're up for it. He's well, he's a professional. I'm I'm sure I could climb down by hand. I'm so ripped. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, I can see that, but it's, you know, it's not just about strength, though. Um, and plus that axe of yours got to weigh something, too. 
but well, you go. I'll go. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I think. Uh, I think you should use your spell. Yes, it's probably for the best. Even if we crash, we might crash a bit slower than if we just fell. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna summon a coach and see what. Uh, what form mm-hmm. my Phantom Coach takes. Because I, I vaguely remember from listening what, what Jubal's Phantom Coach looked like. Yes, of course, you got. You don't know if it's always the same Phantom Coach or just a similar theme, but you do. You read the words, and this, let's, let's uh, remind ourselves as well, like the spells are like on these like kind of plaques, like graven plaques. They're, you know, they cause encumbrance to carry around and... Um, so you pull it out and read it, and uh, and again, there's a rippling in the air, and this strange music suddenly. It's, it's very, it's like, unlike any music you've ever heard. It's like really just like an obnoxious, heavy, repetitive beat, and it's like vain and proud sounding, and like endlessly repeated. And you can hear that, and then from from the way you came along the road, it comes roaring at a great rate of speed, Phantom Coach. Similar to ones you might have seen in the past, but this is different. And if if you had our perspective, uh, you would rec- you would recognize it as a 1967 Chevelle, all primer black, not even shiny black, but primer black, primer black hubcaps, primer black, you know, chrome, everything, and it's roaring up and it screeches to a stop right in front of you, Sue. And it's got, like, smoke, though, and, like, phantom flames coming off its tires. You know, they're not really burning, but... The uh, flames make it go faster. They do. And inside, uh, a skeletal face in a black short-sleeved shirt leans over and says, Where you going, brah? I believe we're going down. Going down. And I'll get in, brah. So you're not the same uh, coachman that we have encountered before. I miss the old guy, but uh, hopefully uh, you can, uh, you're pretty good behind the wheel. Brah, let me lay some wisdom on you. Get, you guys get in, let me lay some wisdom on you. There is only one Phantom Coachman, but he has many different faces. Think about that for a while. Whoa. Well, I used to have a, a cat's face, actually, so I can uh, I can relate to that. Luckily, I have my own beautiful halfling face now again. Yeah, yeah, we've all got beautiful faces, he says, leering at you with his great skeletal grin. Uh, so you guys are all in, I assume. As they're getting in, Sue just yells, Shotgun! shotgun. And yes. nobody knows what a shotgun is on Duras. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, they probably do have a similar term. I mean, they do have, like, coaches, and you'd think people would want to ride shotgun. But, uh... uh anyway, in fact... It's one of those ant- terms from deep antiquity, you know what I mean, that no one that no one uh, knows about. I guess it could know, have no been. No one knows the origins of. Could have been. Yeah. Blunderbuss. It's a, it's a word with yeah. obscure origins. 
but uh, anyway, you guys uh, hop in and the Phantom Coach roars to life. And he's like, so you say you're going down, like straight down? Uh, well, I, yeah, we were hoping that uh, maybe uh, your descent could uh, find some some angles, if possible. <laughs> you know, if... Huh. Because uh, otherwise, you know, uh, well, I hope it has a good brakes, anyways. We'd like to stop at the ground. Yeah. Well, thing is, I'll be fine, brah, no matter what happens. But uh, I don't know about you, but uh, if you're willing to take the risk with me, let's go down to Promised Land. Rock and roll. One more, uh, well, yeah. That's, uh, Oh, uh, okay, I guess so. Okay, well, you're the summoner, he says to you, Sue. When you say go, I go. Well then, go. And he, uh, the engines scream to life, and he just, uh, in fact, he actually kind of backs up and goes where he can get to where the curve, you know, just, uh, like, it doesn't look like he's going to really even try to drive down the side, but, like, launch himself off the edge. And he wants to get a, Gotta get a lot of speed up, he says, screaming over the engine. And suddenly the G-forces that are, you know, given the level of technology that you live in, are just, you know, very forceful. And, of course, you guys remember from long ago, but this is the first time you've experienced this phantom coach. And he launches himself at the end and just rockets off the edge into the navy blue sky. And uh, soon you just lurch. Your stomach lurch as the momentum stops. And the Phantom Coach... Okay, well, I don't know. I don't think any terrain... You know, I don't think air counts. And you guys begin plummeting towards the Earth. But luckily around that curve... I said there were a lot of, like, towers of coral and, uh, in this desert rising up out of it. And in this particular case around the curve, one of those towers of coral is actually merged with the cliff. So, like, down below it creates kind of like a natural arch. <laughs> the tower of coral, like, kind of fell over into the cliff at one point. And, uh, you guys hit that instead, but it's not an easy landing. There's a huge, terrible, terrible thunk. And the Phantom Coach begins to turn over and over and over and over and over. And you guys are jostled terribly. Each of you roll 2d6 and take that much damage as your chins bang off each other's temples and your elbows gouge each other in the neck. And you hit the sides of the of a Chevelle. Oh, I'm jacked. And, uh, you're terribly jostled. Yeah, and I think you guys are probably not dead, but uh, you actually have uh, landed uh, about halfway down the uh, the crystal, I mean the coral tower, <coughs> wedged on a side of it. The Phantom Coach is slow, slowly starting to disintegrate around you, you know, and uh, not like acidically disintegrate, but like... Uh, Depixelate, almost as off into another dimension. And he's like, "Didn't get you quite all the way there, brah. But uh, maybe I'll see you again. Maybe not. Like I say, 
You get lots of different faces. So you've still got to climb up about 30 feet, but it's not like going to be the end of the world. So oh. I actually happen to have some rope that is uh, 50 feet in length. So we could take that. Uh, I don't know if it would help or not. You still have to climb. I mean, you... Having a bit of security by the rope would... Hanging onto the rope would not yeah. be a bad thing, I don't think. Yeah. Better than jumping. Okay. Well, well, you can tie the rope off to uh, an outjutting of the, the coral. And then... Uh, yeah, and if you're climbing down that way, you don't even have to make, you know, rolls, really. It's safe enough. You can just hand over handed, keep your feet braced again. I can see that... You know, that should be pretty easy for 30 feet, you know. It's a lot higher than it looks, you know, higher than it seems like it would be. But anyway, you make your way down. You realize once you're down that, of course, your rope is still tied to the coral yeah, up above. It served its purpose. I I had thought of that, and I was wondering, like, how how thick is the coral the rope's tied to? And, like, it gave it, like, a really hard yank with the coral break and pull well, the rope We loose. all know... It's a great idea. As we all know, coral is not the necessarily the strongest, you know, material in the world. Um, so I think that by all means, you should try to make a strength test. Uh, need higher than a fifteen to either snap the rope off, you know, or I, I rolled a natural one. Oh, not only do you not do it, you, like, wrench your back terribly and take one point of damage. You rip your arms off. <laughs> Does anyone else want to try now that he's put the idea in your heads? Wow. Squirg, you look... Uh, do it. Uh, maybe Squirg can turn some of that flabby into some muscle. Well, Squirg uh, might be flabby in spots, but he does have fairly big There's muscles. muscles That's underneath good. the flab. Yeah. But he just rolls a total of 11. Okay, oh, 11. He yanks and yanks. Well, we have two great big yanks. It's been a lot of yanking going on, but can someone finally yank it off? Well, That's up to you, Jubal, to yank it off. Let me feel that big axe while I try to yank it. <laughs> Give me good luck. Uh, you guys watch me while I yank. All right. <laughs> now I'm an I'm watching intent. yanker extraordinaire. Than I did. I got a 17. Okay. 17. It does not... 17 doesn't yank the whole coral, but it does snap the rope. So you get it down, but there'll be... It'll be, like, a little bit shorter now because you'll have to... You know, when you untie it, there's that extra little strand from from where it snapped off. But it's a small price to pay. Yeah, if you were, like, a 20 or higher, it would have snapped off. Okay. Sue is impressed. Yeah, that is quite impressive. We won. I think Sue, we must have... uh Loosened it up for him. Well, that's what everyone says when they fail. Then the next person <laughs> succeeds. They all say, "Oh, it must, they must have, We must have loosened it up." But well, you know, sometimes uh, you can uh, a halfling can gather much strength. Uh, comes from our uh, sturdy feet. We you know we could <laughs> dig into the ground and get a, a good uh, base and and. Got a lot of uh, strength uh, uh, that way. Yes. Well, now uh, that by you the time down, we were man. finished with it, it just took a small touch before it popped right off. After all the yanking. <laughs> and well, a few yank jokes later, 
we can see now that we're down um, at the base of this. Uh, now, remember where he drove off, it was a curve in the road, right? That's what allowed him to get up speed and then launch off. So you hadn't really got a good line of sight to what was down on this other side of the cliff, only whether or not it would have curved around, which it doesn't. But not far away, there's not that much of a stretch of this Pearl Ash Desert. You can see what is clearly a town. Certainly not a great city like Sarah's Arch, but it is a town. It's maybe about a half-day journey across this Pearl Ash Desert. There's a, again, you line of sights occasionally obscured by some of these uh, coral towers that rise up out of the desert, but it looks like easy passage. You can doesn't seem to be any apparent danger. And there's still day left. <coughs> and where I said there was a discoloration that you could see in the distance earlier, this uh, is all on the other side of this, this settlement. Well... Well, looks like a, we got a town over there, Jubal, and if, if we got a town there, they probably got a table. And if they got a table, I would like to challenge you to a, a little bit of an arm wrestling match huh. once we get to town. If I see you're still in disbelief at my halfling strength, and um, yes, I say uh, I accept. Uh, of course, I will want uh, a meal to uh, regather my strength. Hopefully they have uh, something. Maybe they have beeves. I love those beeves. Yeah, they're hard to get back home. That's why people had to start eating halflings. Hopefully they got some some meat mallow or some moo moo stew or any of the the fun things we've eaten in dearth before. But uh, of course you'll have to trudge across the pearl ash desert. Now pearl ash not necessarily dangerous, but like getting your lungs is so fine. So if you got like a scarf or something, you might want to mask up as you trudge across. Because it gets everywhere, and it's harder to walk through than it looks. But, but for, uh, by the end of the day, you you know, you sun has uh, filled the sky. It takes almost it's so big that almost by the time it starts setting, you know, in one side, it's starting to rise in the other. You know, but uh, it's it's darkening, and the stars are coming out, and you can see a few more stars now. You can see the empty star and the loon, the wanderer. And the Dreaming Sultan, that's a great big constellation. And uh, you actually, as you're looking up, there's a falling star that just shoots across the sky. And it seems to uh, go off into the southeast, the very direction you're going. Maybe it's a good omen. Does anyone want to make a wish on this falling star? Oh. Well, do you want to say your wish out loud? No, you can't tell a wish. Then it won't come true. Uh, he's a wise man. He's a wise man. Well, you guys make a wish on a star, or you don't. No, it is noteworthy. I I wished I'd see a falling star, and then I did, and came true. It was pretty cool. Well, been... I am writing down my wish, but okay. He won't state it aloud. Okay, and I don't know if I don't think I don't think Squirg's a wisher. I think Squirg's a pragmatic fellow. Squirgs, Squirgs, me not a superstitious man. No. Yes, but, you know, that, um, that gentleman that we're traveling with, he, he wrote down a wish, I believe, and I'm terribly curious. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't like secrets, you know. I've just got to know the truth about things, so I might have a peek later on. 
I hope he, uh, hopefully he won't mind, but he won't even know because I'm so sneaky. Well, you you are the the world's greatest burglar. I'm sure you can burgle that wish right off him, no problem. Yeah, so we, What's a, we might, uh, you know, learn some things about him. We don't even know who we're traveling with. It's just a stranger we met, and he's uh, awfully, you know, dangerous looking. Hopefully, uh, we don't get on his bad side. Yeah, by by sneaking through stuff. Last time your curiosity got the better of you, a wizard turned you, gave you a cat's head for a long time. So luckily you don't have it anymore. But, um, uh, you know, when you look at Sue, he doesn't look like the guy kind of guy who could you know polymorph your head, but he does look like the kind of guy who might be able to cut off your head. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so anyway, though. Um, you 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 think about these things as you trudge across the desert because it's not fun to talk. I mean, everybody's voices are muffled. You're covered with dust by the end of it. You know, all your clothes look gray, and it's, it's not even like it's windy or anything. It's just from what you guys are, yourselves are kicking up, and uh, but the walls of the city are looming above you. It takes you longer than you thought it would to get there because their walls are so tall. They're like. Almost ridiculously tall. This city is like more vertical than it is horizontal, which means it's been built in imitation of Sarah's Arcs. From what you've heard of Sarah's Arcs, it just towers up and up and up and up, and you can't see the top of it. But it's uh, but there's uh, gardens growing up on the top. It's actually many tall buildings. No, I mean like uh, you know, great steel skyscrapers or anything like that, but uh, stone towers that. Through some ancient engineering, just just rise up into the sky, and uh, yet as you get closer and closer, you can see there's actually like big bricks along this wall, and the it, it would uh, take an army to besiege them. There's like no way you're getting into this place without being seen. That's for sure. Not that you would necessarily want to, but it, if you, once once someone is in the inside that place. Getting in or getting out, you know, could be very, very tricky. You know, going in might not be so easy to get out. But anyone who builds walls that high, scared of something, or then again, Dearth is such an old world with such strange and varied architectures. You never know what it could be. But as you get closer and closer, you are now able to discern a great gate, a great arched gate in the side. Of it, and on the top of the walls in the darkness now, there uh, are great bursting balls of light and sparkler-like fire, as they brought sparkle weeds out and planted them along the wall for nighttime illumination. Because this thing will go all night. It's casting an eerie light along the walls. Because now it's getting more or less as dark as it ever gets. Do you want to go through the gate, or climb the walls, or avoid this creepy place, or what would you like to do? Well. Oh. Who knows how long it would be before we find another pl- uh, town, you know? They might want to stop in here and, uh, you know, get a, get a good night's rest. Uh, I, we all I, I took some damage, I think. Yeah, I think a good meal would do us some good. Yes. Okay. Me thinks a moo moo stew would hit the spot right about now. Okay. Okay, yeah, I don't think you've had a good moo moo stew since Sour Hole. So, yeah, it's been a while. <coughs> so I'll assume you guys approach that uh, great arched gate. And, of course, it's barred up against you. 
It was about like a three-story tall gate, but very narrow. It's only about as wide as a normal doorway. I mean, it's, it's really ridiculously vertically exaggerated. And standing on the other side is a man in a sloping helmet, but it's kind of over large. I mean, almost like Darth, almost like Dark Helmet, you know, from, from Spaceballs. I mean, it's not quite that ridiculous, but it's like armor that is too big for him. The shoulder pads are way too wide. He's holding this great big pike. It's like four times the size of him. But you can see there are others milling around behind him in the dim light. And a man in white robes that seems to be overseeing a couple of these sloped helmeted soldiers in their ill-fitting gear. You realize, in fact, two of you would realize that the reason their armor is so ill-fitting is that they're wearing scavenged armor. This is Hobgoth armor that they're wearing and trying to adapt to their own needs. But... Uh, as you, you approach the gate, there's already a person standing. He's not on the outside of it. He's just looking at you through the bars. And he says, And who are you who approach the town of Hadoro Tyros so insolently? Oh, uh, well, we are three travelers who wish to uh, come in and have a good meal and uh, perhaps uh, a good rest if that is uh, permitted hmm where are you from and where are you bound and what is your business and now like the white robe guy starting to walk up and all you guys haven't even done anything you know and everybody's you know they're all coming up to like, what's going on what, what? and uh, crowding on the other side of the gate they don't seem very friendly to no. strangers yeah they want to know I said, where are you from? Where are you bound? And what is your business? We only let people of sterling character inside the walls of the town of Hadoro Tyros. Oh, well, we are the most sterling characters. And um, my uh, friend uh, Squirg here and I, I think we have been so long. We've traveled so far. But I recall something about the province... Of uh, Ash, that's where I uh, came from. Uh, it's very far away. And uh, our uh, friend Sue—I uh, I don't recall where you came from. Uh, neither do I, little friend. It's been so long. I am but a simple farmer looking for work after a great tragedy. Yes. It seems you have probably sown much wheat with that great axe of yours. To me, you all look like trouble. And this sallow and pinched-faced fellow, despite his jolliness, looks like the biggest trouble of all. Me no trouble. Me name's Squirr. You did not give your name, little one. Oh, my name is uh, Jubal. 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 I see you are named after Jubal of the Book of Julian. Uh, perhaps. I I do not know. Well, if you never had a friend named Julian, then you're not the Jubal who we seek. Oh, I did. I did. A long time ago. Yes, I, I recall Julian. Yes. And then the white robe guy starts speaking. Art thou Jubal Tricks? Yes, uh, I didn't want to say my last name because that implies that I'm trouble, Tricks, but uh, that is my name, yes. Open the gates, open the gates. 
and uh, the guards in their ill-fitting hobgoth armor open the great, <laughs> tall, narrow gate and let you through and close it on the other side and uh, I'll assume you all walk through and it doesn't pass your attention that they lock it as well uh, they're not using a great big bar it's got like keys that the man in the white robe wears around his neck and he says so you claim to be Jubiltrix friend of Yulian the Clean oh. savior of the universe well yes I don't like to brag but uh, yes uh, that was a lifetime ago uh, no it wasn't no it never happened oh no it never happened Oh, that's too my bad. My friend, we... My friend. They call us those who are in denial. Our brethren who live here in the village of Haduro Tyros. But it is you who live in denial. The world has already ended. The sun has already shuddered and exploded its life force into the universe. And we are all dead. And this is all nothing but a dream. The stories that are spread of Yuli and the Clean are lies. And the age of temporary reprieve... All lies as we float around in a purgatory-like state. But you don't believe that. Of course I believe that. Do you not believe that? Well, well no. I was, uh, I, I recall uh, having a part in saving the world. And I can look around and see that it is still here. Well, and I have... if it was a dream, uh, I think I'd know. I think there'd be no more naked ladies around if it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> then I have no choice but to brand thou for what thou art. A blasphemer! Blasphemer! And the cries raise up around, Blasphemer! Blasphemers! Blasphemers! You will deny. You will deny what you see. And they all uh, come rushing up towards you to grab you. And that's where we'll, we'll go ahead and end this, this episode. Uh, I, I would like to, just very briefly, if I may, to inject a short scene where, you know, we're all getting, um, you know, we're put in restraints and stuff, and, and Squirgle looks over to Jubal and says, Don't they know that dead people can't dream? <laughs> <laughs> the dead can't dream. Well, we'll find out if dead people can dream on the next episode of Goonies World. See you then. Hey everybody, if you like our podcast, don't forget to leave us a good rating and or review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Spotify, or wherever you're able. Subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter at Goonies underscore world, and check out our website at GooniesWorldPodcast.com. Email us at GooniesWorldPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.